Let's pray. Father, we worship you and we praise you and we thank you, God. We love you. Lord, as Shannon prayed, I stand in agreement with everything that she laid before your throne. It is our desire that you do your perfect will. It is my desire that my mouth is yours. My words not even come out, but only your words would come out. I have no desire to speak my own words, and the people here and online have no desire to listen to my words. We have come before your throne to seek you, to know you, to have relationship with you. Because it is through that relationship that a perfect symbiotic relationship with each other emerges. Lord, I notice so often the people that I become the closest to are the ones that are closest to you. Thank you. Thank you for the way that you work your greatest commandment, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love each other the same. Father, we love you. Do your will this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been a while. Kind of weird. It's been three weeks, three weeks since I've stood right here, right? Missed two Sundays. I don't know about you, that was hard for me. That was really, really hard for me. Because you feel this obligation in a way. You feel like there's so much inside bubbling that, oh Lord, it's got to come out, right? I went before him and, and he just said, no. He said, listen, just watch. Recognize what's going on. Take a moment and realize. Look into the bride's eyes and tell me what you see. And so the last couple of weeks I've been doing that and, and obviously I've done it before that. But what I've seen in the greater bride, and I'm going to speak this morning specifically about the United States, specifically about here. It applies all over the world, but specifically here is what the Lord wanted me to look at. So, what do we see? Everybody's looking because they hear that downstairs. It'll get turned down, don't worry. What do you see when you look at the bride? What do you see? And I'm not talking about turning and looking at each other. I'm talking about what do you see in the grand scheme of the bride here in the United States right now? See, I what comes to my mind is a word that is a dirty word. It's a word that is not politically correct. It's, it's a word that we hate. It's a word that we fight against. 
I see slaves. That's what I see. I see slaves. I see those who are so encumbered by a fear, so encumbered by their own choice of control, that they don't understand what is actually in control of them. And so as I've been watching, I, I thought, well, I know we are all born into this slavery of sin, right? We, we all know that. We can agree with that. We're, we're born into these, these uh, defiled bodies, right? These fallen bodies, fallen flesh. But it's more than that, because why do we then choose slavery once we've accepted Jesus Christ into our heart? When I talk about the bride, that's who I'm talking about. Those who have received him as king, those who have given their lives and said, I believe that you are the Messiah, I give my life to you. Come into my heart. Have reign of my heart, have reign of my life, forgive me of my sin. And then so many, over the course of time, step back into that slavery. And, and by the way, this is not an anomaly. This is actually something that is quite common in mankind. And that's sad. That's a sad thought. We're going to talk about that this morning. I want to, I want to give examples in the Word of God of what it really means to not know what God is doing in your life, what God is trying to do in your nation, what He's trying to do right here in this nation. I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 5. And we all know these stories. But I think there's such a great example of a mentality that gets so locked into control Controlling themselves that they allow control by others. Now in this case, we have the children of Israel. These are the children of the king. The God of the universe. The creator of all things. These are his chosen people. His chosen people. And they, over the course of time, fall into slavery in Egypt. They were in slavery for 430 years total. They fell into this mind frame of slavery. And I I certainly don't fault them for that. When you are being beaten, when you are being locked down and controlled to be obedient to those who were their masters, I've never been in that situation. So, so I can't say that I would have acted any differently. But see, God gives us his word for a reason. We can look at this and see things that went on then that go on now that are not supposed to. So we know the story. They're, they're in slavery. You know, God started to raise up Moses. And, and by the time where we are here in chapter 5, Moses is already already come back to Egypt because God has called him to free God's people, right? He, go, he goes into Egypt to do that and says, let my people go. Wasn't that a song? Keeps ringing in my mind, let my people go. Big bass voice, really good. 
can't remember who sung it, but anyways. <laughs> he goes in there for freedom for his people, for God's people. And as you can expect, Pharaoh was so kind and said, well, of course, they can go. No, he wasn't, was he? No, why? Because masters of slaves fight to keep it. They fight to keep it. Those who control other people, who manipulate other people, they fight to keep it. They put up a fight. Pharaoh here put up a fight. God knew he would put up a fight. In fact, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Why? So the people could see the fight. We're not to be afraid of the fight. We're just supposed to let God go ahead. We don't have to be afraid of the fight. They didn't have to be afraid of the fight. So Moses goes and he says, let my people go. And filled with as much confidence, I'm sure, as he could muster, thinking, I know what God has said. God has promised this land. He has called me to go and lead them out so it will happen. You know that's what Moses felt. But then he met resistance. In fact, at the beginning, Pharaoh goes, okay, okay, you guys need to leave to go, go offer some sacrifice. You must be, have, have, you must have too much time on your hands. So how about you make your own, get your own straw to make your own brick? And we're not going to lower the quantities of bricks that you need to make. You just got to get your own straw now to do it. You got to go out into the fields, get your own straw to make your own brick. So in other words, when Moses came thinking that the people were going to be freed, they were enslaved even more. (laughs) Wow, what a blow that had to be to Moses if you don't believe me. It says it here. First of all, verse 7 said, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. And we're in Exodus Exodus chapter 5, verse 7. As in the past, but let them go and gather straw for themselves. And it goes on, and, and, and through all of this. And then go down to verse 20. The people met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out of out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord, look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Do you recognize right away the lies? See, they're saying to this deliverer, this tool of God to deliver them from this slavery. They're saying, well, no, you just put a sword in their hand. You just made us stink in front of them. Got news for you. They already stank. Stunk. Stink. Right? They already had a sword in their hand over Israel. They could take their lives at any moment that they wanted to. It wasn't that. It was like the people of Israel knowing that they are the child of the king. They said, don't stir the pot. They're in control. We could be hurt. 
Thankfully, Moses did not give up. Because from there, and and Moses did cry out to God. And and God even said, why are you crying to me? Why are you crying to me? You, You need to step forward and do what I tell you to do. And we know... We know the story, right? I'm not going to go through all the plagues and, and, and the entire story of, of how Moses would go back. There would be another plague. Pharaoh would say, okay, okay, no. And then another plague and another plague. And finally, when God takes the firstborn of each household, finally they let him go. So if you can imagine this mass of people, and most theologians say between one and two million people. I mean, this is not a small group of people. This is not a few thousand people. I mean, can you imagine trying to move? Let's say it was a million. Can you imagine trying to move a million people? Can you imagine a million people thinking that they're being freed by the slave masters that held them captive? That had to be a happy day. That had to be a good day. You know, think from the Christian's mind, from from the mind politically here in the United States, when for years and years and years, we had been praying for 50 years, in fact, we had been praying against abortion. Finally, we get somebody in office that also isn't, isn't just saying they hate abortion, but literally fight against it. We've had presidents in the past that have said they hate abortion and don't fight against it. But see, in 2016, there was a president that was elected that fought against it. What a great day. I remember for me, I remember for Christians that I knew, this was like Liberation Day. Like, it's time to move forward. We're going to move forward now as a nation. There's no turning back. There is no, Satan is going to have defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat. Started in 2016. Why? Because Donald Trump's the Messiah? No. Neither was Moses. In fact, Moses had so many difficulties with God, there was one that kept him out of the promised land. Moses was not the Messiah. Donald Trump is not the Messiah. It's not about who he is. It's about what God uses in people. So we stepped forward and for four years it became this drudging fight. Knowing full well that this is all going to break. This stranglehold on this country is going to break. It's going to break. Why? Because God said it would. God said in Amos 2 that he tells his prophets ahead of everything that he does. And he has been telling his prophets that this is all coming. That victory is coming. Victory is ours. Never in my lifetime, and I'm older than 30, never in my lifetime have I experienced joy isn't even the word. I I can't even figure out a good word for this euphoric feeling of stepping forward in victory. That's what I felt for those four years. Even though it was a fight, even though it was difficult. 
then we hit things that test our faith. So did the children of Israel. See, when they left Egypt, they were guided by God's hand directly. I want you to go to Exodus 13. Beginning in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, let the people change, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. See, God also knew what he was dealing with. Verse 18. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Apparently physically equipped. Not mentally. Verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. They knew. They knew God had said this. Years and hundreds of years before. They knew that God had given them this land, that he would give them, take them to it would be their inheritance. They grew up, imagine that, they grew up their entire lives knowing the promises of God. Knowing what was their inheritance, what was their right. But yet it was stopped physically. And now, all of a sudden they're set free. All of a sudden they're set free and they're led by the very God who gave them those promises over hundreds of years. Verse 20, and they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them in a, in, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. I mean, think about it. They had, they had God, them, God himself leading them in a supernatural way. How would you feel? How would you feel if every time you walked out of your door, you followed a cloud of, a pillar of cloud by day or a pillar of fire by night because it was with you literally to escort you everywhere you went? Wow. That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Might keep you out of a few places. I'm sorry, sir, you can't come in. There's fire right next to you. It'll burn down the house. But imagine that. Imagine knowing that you're walking hand in hand with God, the one who promised you for 400 years that you can step into this promise, this land. This is a nation who never had their own land. In fact, this is a nation, the only nation who were God's children, that didn't have anything of their own. God's now taking them and giving that to them. What an extraordinary thought. He was was with them the entire time. Exodus 14. Then we start seeing this mind frame of slavery. So they're out and they're being led by God the entire time. 
And chapter 14, verse 11 says, they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. Let me put that in today's vernacular. God's going to fight for you. You just got to shut up and let him. You just have to shut up and let him. Let him fight. Believe that he will fight for you. Believe that he is there. Believe that that cloud and that pillar of fire are not just some trick so we can believe that there's a God who takes care of us. Now, recognize what's going on. You've got over a million Israelites backed up to the Red Sea, and here come the Egyptians. Here come the Egyptians that that literally faced ten plagues. The depth of their firstborn before they finally said, yes, go, get them out of here, You're, you, just go. And then after that, they still came after them. Do you think they came after him to say that, hey, you know, guys, we got, we got all these nice things back in Egypt. You know, you're out here in the wilderness. We have, we have your home still for you. We have food there. We have cattle there. We have, we have everything that you need. You know what? We'll go ahead and start providing the straw again. Do you think that's what they were saying? No. No, they went after him to kill him. Why? Because Satan always seeks to kill and destroy. He wants to take our lives. And Moses is just, it's extraordinary to me because for it to come through this story like it does, it couldn't have just been a few people out of the million. It couldn't have just been a few people thinking, oh, we're going to die, but the majority of them really believe. No, because if that was the case, it would have been a different turnout. This is the majority of people believing this. Now, they might have been driven by a few people. And we'll see that a little bit later. Isn't that the way it is in the United States here? Isn't that the way it is all over the world? Where a few voices of fear drive everything else. Where are the voices of courage. Where are the voices of faith? So he said, the Lord will fight for you. And, and by the way, what happened? He fought for him. He destroyed Egypt. He got rid of that stain of their past. He literally liberated them for good at that moment. Were they grateful? Probably. Probably pretty thankful when the waters closed in on on Egypt and thought, oh, 
God, you are awesome. You work more than out of a pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. Wow, you can control the waters too. Maybe you are really God. But it didn't last long. It didn't last long. Why? Because they were coming from a root mentality of slavery. They didn't physically know any different. And what breaks that is faith. They weren't exerting any faith in who God is and what his promises state. And we hear him grumbling. Go to chapter 15. I mean, these these are just extraordinary thoughts. You know, when you're in the desert, when you're in the wilderness, you may not have a lot of water with you, especially if you're a million plus people tend to get a little thirsty, right? Any of you that have been in Nigeria know if you do not drink enough water in Nigeria, you are in trouble. You are in trouble. So they grumbled. Verse 24 of chapter 15, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now, I want want to point out the word there, grumbled. Because, see, if they would have come to Moses and said, we, we have people that are desperately thirsty. What do we do? God, God certainly can provide. What do we do, Moses? What do we do? That's not what they did. They grumbled. They murmured. They spoke behind his back. They spoke thinking they're speaking behind God's back. Again, saying the same things over and over again. Man, we had water when we were in Egypt. You know, we had water. We had plenty of water to drink there. We had what we needed there. They grumbled. And then God gave them water. Go to chapter 16, verse 2. Starting to get a little hungry. Thank you for the water, Lord. But now we're hungry. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out of this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Man alive. Thank God for Moses' patience. I don't know that I would have been as patient. Except that you can only assume this is the entirety of the group saying this. Or a large portion of the leadership of the group saying, literally, we're hungry. Why didn't you leave us in slavery? Because at least we had full bellies. At least we had water. At least we had the needs. Do you you see what's here? And and by the way, it wasn't that that was fake. They really didn't have their needs met. They really didn't have water. They really didn't have food. The thing that the Lord was trying to teach them is look up. Look Look to him for your sustenance. He offers everything that you need. But they grumbled. Go to Exodus 17. This continues on. 
Lord just showed, it took me to all these this morning, walked me through them this morning. Exodus 17, starting at verse 2, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? It's almost hard to read. Really is. Let's go to Numbers chapter 11. And, and by the way, in each case, the Lord provided. They grumbled. He did provide. Go to Numbers chapter 11. Just going to have two more examples here. Verse 18. And say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Man, that is just a saying that you hear over and over again. It was better for us in slavery. At least we had food. At least we had water. At least we had this roof over our heads. But yet the truth is, a grumbler is a grumbler is a grumbler. They grumbled in Egypt. If, if, if you don't believe me, I won't take you there now, but go back and look at the story. That's why God came. That's why he sent Moses, because he said, I heard their cries. So they grumbled all the time. They were grumblers. And they're grumbling now for meat. And God said, okay, I'll give you meat. I'll give you meat, but verse 19, you shall not eat just one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but a whole month. Until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, why did we come out of Egypt? He's like, okay, you want meat? I'll give you meat. I'm going to show you how much you think meat is more important than me. And he gave it to him until it made him sick. When all this time, you know, it's easy to look at these these lessons because we have the entire story in front of us. We have the entire thing. It's easy to look at this and say, oh, come on. Why couldn't they just see? Why couldn't they see? But do you understand, this is the same thing going on right now. It's going on right now. There is a mentality of slavery in the bride here in the United States thinking that we just have to put up with this because they're in control. See, when God's the one in control, he's been in control the entire time. What do you think God's waiting for? He's waiting for us. He was waiting for the children of Israel to look to Him, to trust Him, to throw their full faith in Him. And then finally, the final example is Numbers chapter 13, and this is the most disappointing one. 
You guys know the story. Moses was told to send out 12 spies, and he did. They found everything, found that this land was amazing, filled with milk and honey, right? The, the, the fruit there was fantastic. God just happened to get them there at harvest. Notice that, if, if you want to re- dive into that a little bit later, that's the amazing part. He took them there right at the time where it was perfect. It was perfect to just show them, look, here's what I have for you. Here's what I have for you. You just have to trust me. You just have to believe. And then the saddest thing, when the twelve come back, they said, they said, yes, it was good, it was awesome, everything was as you said, it was perfect. And if they would have shut their mouths right then, they would have been fine. But they they said in verse 28, this is chapter 13 of Numbers. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites. The Amorites dwell in the hill country and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Do you know what they're talking about here, by the way? They're talking about lines of Nephilim. They're talking about lines of what they think are extraordinary beings, these giants. I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole right now, but dive into Genesis 6. If you want to understand why this is a big deal to them, they understood this is not just a physical war. And in that part, they're even bigger than us. But this is also a spiritual war. Because their gods give them great power. All these ites that they would have to deal with going into this land. And you guys know the story, the sad part of it? You had two, right? You have Caleb and Joshua that said, no, 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 we can take them. We can take yeah, they may be giants, so what? We can take them. God said, so therefore we can. But then the other ten said, no, they're too big. They're too fortified. They're too strong for us. And you know the story, the people went with the ten. Oh, man. You can just imagine how Moses must have felt at that point. And, and how conflicted even some of the people must have felt. Do you think that out of all those, the million plus people, do you think that only effectively three, Joshua, Caleb and Moses felt they could do it? No, there were probably many others. Many, many others. But it's an example of falling to the pressure of a voice against God. Falling to the pressure of a voice speaking against faith. Why? Because faith is the substance of things not seen. Not seen. They didn't see a way to conquer these people. So it required faith, which Caleb and Joshua had, faith that they could go in and conquer 
even without seeing the way. It didn't matter because God said. And we see that later on that they do that. But understand the mentality of what's going on here. The mentality of... Oh, come on. The mentality of a people under slavery that cannot break this yoke of slavery off their back. Now, I want you to really think about how that applies here in America. I want you to think of how that applies with what we've been promised. Go back to the very beginning, how our our nation was formed in the very first place. There were promises made. Do you understand that the Constitution is a promise? Do you understand that? The Bill of Rights, they are a promise to you. By the way, they are also God-given. That's what this nation was built for. And yet, we find ourselves right now falling to a mind of slavery. It drives me nuts. I want to clear something up right now. It drives me nuts because in these last couple of weeks I've seen, I've seen pastor after pastor after pastor say, oh, but wait a second. We need to, we need to go, we need to, we need to pray for our leaders. We need to try to build unity. We need to love. We need to help. We need to all these things. I want you to go and, and they bring up First Peter chapter two. So let's dive into First Peter chapter two here for a second. Okay? First Peter chapter two. I'm gonna read verses thirteen to twenty one. Starting at thirteen. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Okay, first of all, if you want to get technical, we just derailed right there. But let's leave that alone. Verse 15, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, honoring everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. That's certainly happening, right? I mean, yeah, okay, pastors, this is starting to make sense. It's starting to make sense that that we just need to love them. We just need to obey them. We just need to be quiet, let God. Right? Let's just be quiet. Because it, it says right here, to live in this harmony, live in this unity, right? So, I, so I'm, a, I'm agreeing with them. Where was I? Verse 19, maybe? For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, 
This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example, so that you might follow in his steps. I want to encourage those pastors. This was an absolute call from Peter for the people of that time. Because, see, they were under an emperor. They were under an unjust form of government. But Christian, wake up. We are not. We are not. We are supposed to be, anyways, a republic. We are not a republic that is led by the tyranny of men. We are a republic led by what? The people. The people. Last I heard, the people are not speaking. So what does that mean? How does that apply? It's because Christians have not stood up in the realms that they're supposed to stand as to why we have this feel of an emperor. Why we have this feel of this control. And God that started a work back in 2016, He has not completed it. He has not finished it. He has not fulfilled His promises yet. Because He is literally waiting to see how many will believe, and how many will not. Just like when 12 spies were sent into the land. God wanted to see how many will believe, how many will not. See, it wasn't the same for all 12. Ten of them were to die in the wilderness. Two of them got to go into the promised land. Forty years later, that was, that kind of sucked, right? Forty years. Think about that. Forty years. If you are Joshua and Caleb and you are absolutely believing God, and then now because of the sound of your nation, you have to endure 40 years? I'm thankful that we don't live in that time frame. I am thankful that God is seeing who will choose. But for the sake of his remnant, that land is ours. That land is ours. Our voice is to stand up for what God has promised. Do you know if Christians here in the United States would just stand together? We wouldn't have to put up with the tyranny of what's going on. We wouldn't have to put up with an election that was stolen. We wouldn't have to put up with it. Why? Because our voice is backed by God himself. His children. All they have to do is believe him. That's all. Just believe. Just believe him. Open your mouth, let him speak through you. Unify together. That's what this country was supposed to be from the very beginning. 
Do you know, it's interesting to me, another thing the Lord showed me. Do you know, this country has never fulfilled its purpose. Not even once, not even at the very beginning. The very prayers that William Penn would go into the woods and be in the woods for days and just pray to the Lord for this new land, this new land, this new governmental system that would allow God to be over the nation. Literally, one nation under God, under the God, the Creator. From that point, when he started to draft what we know, what, what eventually became our Constitution, we have never, ever experienced God's intention for this land because immediately Satan got in there. Immediately he got in, in leadership. I mean, do some research. Even research some of these founding fathers that on the surface are so good, but they led lives of debauchery. So even from the beginning, there was infiltration. Do you know it's the same for the bride? It's the same for the bride. We read in Revelation 3.9, which you all know of what God wants to do, this reading of the bride, that literally the bride will, Jesus will rule the earth through his bride before the rapture. But it's never happened. Revelation 3.9 has never happened. Right? The world has not paid homage. The world has not stood in awe of the bride because the bride is loved by God. That's what the verse says that they will do. And by the way, that is not something that will be done in the thousand-year reign. That is not something for Israel. It has nothing to do with Israel. The seven letters were written to the seven churches. They were written to Gentile believers. And yet this has never happened. So do we believe him or not? Do we believe that that's what he is doing? Do we believe that that's what he intended this country to be about? See, it was supposed to be about freedom of religion. But yet we find our religion controlled by those who have the reins. Isn't that funny? If you think you live in a free society, you have another thing coming. The Constitution builds for a free society. But yet we've seen how easy it is nowadays to go against the Constitution. It's almost like it's a paper that doesn't matter anymore. And Christians are going along with that. Why? Why? Why are we not opening our mouths? Why are we not standing on the side of right? I am not saying, and let me make clear for the internet, please, and NSA and whoever else might be watching, I'm not saying pick up a gun and fight, although there will be civil war. But it will, be, it will come because of God. The same God who opened the Red Sea. The same God who closed the Red Sea on Egypt will close it on those in America that hate God. We don't have to take up arms. 
We don't have to become violent. Trust me. God will do all the violence necessary because his justice will demand it. But see, his love carries the hope that people will choose him. You see that all throughout the word of God. You see why he was so patient with the children of Israel. So patient. Even after they chose not to go into the land, he was patient for 40 years. You know, all those who were, I think it was above 20, did not enter, except for Joshua and Caleb. He could have killed them right then. He could have said, Moses, here, here, let's just take a couple days. I'm going to get rid of these, and then you guys could go in, and the children will literally take over the land. He could have done that. Because God was the one that did it anyways. When they got to Jericho, what fighting did they do? The mopping up. That they did. You, you get some hints to that in what Rahab said to the spies. They don't know what to think. They're afraid of you. The true God is with you. They're afraid. You know, you can imagine the children of Israel marching around seven times or thinking, I don't know what's going on. The people inside, they knew what was going on. Guarantee it. They were afraid. God fought for them. God will fight for us right now. He will do the fighting. We don't have to do the fighting. It's kind of late. Well, you know what? Go, go there anyways. Even if I just read it, it's important. Go to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, finally they're ready to enter the land. God says to Joshua, get ready. And he gives him this little pep talk at the beginning. Understanding that it is in his faith and in his commitment to God where this takeover will, will come from. Verse 1, after the death of Moses and the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people. Into the land I am, giving, I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised Moses. His promises did not die with Moses. The promises of this nation did not die with William Penn. They did not die with those who gave their lives for this nation, for God to be the one God that we are under for this nation. Because they died, it did not mean that his promises died. Verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. 
Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord God is with you wherever you go. You know, it's interesting that he didn't say, go sharpen your swords. Here, let me show you how to make these, these really awesome spears. Or, or, or what are those things that hurl rocks? No, the bigger ones. Okay, you guys aren't helpful to me. Yeah, it's the thing that throws the big rocks. He he could have shown him. He could have shown him all kinds of things. Here, I'm going to show you some techniques, some fighting techniques on on how to do this or how to do that. It's not what he showed him. He said, "Remember my law." He said, "Remember me." He said, remember what causes you to have relationship with me in the first place. Remember the purity that I expect you to walk in in relationship with me. Remember, I am the one that is going to take you through that land. Why does he need to be strong and courageous? Because there's going to be times where it looks like he can't do it. Like almost right away. When they get there and the walls of Jericho are so high. If he did not believe in the word of the Lord, they never would have gotten past that point. That's where we are today. Be strong and courageous, church. And, and you know what? If you need to, take baby steps. But let me tell you the first baby step, pastors. Get your church together. I don't care what the state says. They have no say in a church meeting together. Get your church together. Meet together. Be together. And, and, and you know, whatever you need to do, if, if, if you are in fear of, of corona or whatever, then, then build your own glass pillar around every person. But get them there. Get them there. Be there together, unified. On what God said is ours because the land is right there for us to take. He started it four years ago. He will complete it. He's not going to wait four years. He's not going to say, oh, okay, they didn't believe me, so we're going to wait four years until, until they finally believe me, and then we'll go back with Trump again. No. Guess what? Donald Trump is still the president. He is still the president of the United States right now. I have no idea how. I have no idea what that means. I just know that that's what the Lord has said. And I just know what he has said is true. What he has said will come to pass. Don't be surprised what you see right now. Don't be surprised in what's coming. Oh, I'm going to say something really tough. This will make me popular. Texas was not an accident. 
Texas was not an accident. Texas was not a work of Satan. Satan is not in this at all. He wishes he was. He is not in control at all. What happened in Texas is the very signs of what is coming over the next couple of years. Because judgment hit the house of God first. Do you understand what I'm saying? That isn't saying that everybody affected was the house of God. Judgment is always to bring closer us to God. That's the purpose of judgment. That's the purpose of his justice. But understand, when he starts to do things, everybody will be affected one way or another depending on their own faith. If there is something that the Lord sends, and we see time and time again examples of it in the Word of God. How about Paul? When Paul had to suffer a shipwreck, read it. I won't go into it right now, but it said it was God's will. Oh man, that's a tough one to deal with, right? All that stuff destroyed. If 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 that captain didn't didn't make the declaration that he did and not kill any of the prisoners, then everybody would have died except Paul. But Paul told him that he didn't kill them. They all lived. But everything was destroyed. Why? Because it was God's will for them to land where they did. So because of that, did Paul have to go through that? Or, or did God just kind of pick him up and kind of, kind of float him in the air, you know, like that last Divergent movie, Insurgent or whatever it was, where they're just floating in the air and they're protected from everything around them? Maybe that's what, they did to, maybe that's what God did to Paul. Put him in this bubble, got him above the ship, and Paul's just waiting and see who's going to live. No, Paul had to go through it. Paul had to hang on to the side of the ship with fear running through his mind thinking, I don't think I can breathe underwater. And these, these waves are so big and, and, and can just kill in an instant. Don't you think that he thought that? Of course he did. But he fought it. And he said, God has told me that we will be fine. We will not lose a single life. But he still had to go through it. Bride, don't be afraid of going through things that God has set before you in motion. If you do, you're going to really struggle over the next two years. Or the next almost three years. Because what he is bringing is more of what you saw in Texas. In different ways. But it will be God. You can't put Texas on a human. I mean, maybe you could put how things reacted to humans. But you can't put the fact that it happened in the first place to a human. You, you have to attribute it to God or to Satan. It's not in humans' control. God has said through this entire time, even bringing Donald Trump back to the Oval Office will come by what he does. He said, no man will take my glory. So, so don't look for a big uprising that Donald Trump has, you know, 
some hidden military somewhere and they're going to take over everything. I mean, I don't know if he does or not. I can tell you this, it's not, it's not what is going to work. God said. God said that it is his hand that will deliver. But see, we have to trust in that. We have to believe that. We have to stand up when, when we're posting or whatever, which I don't post on Facebook anymore, but, but when we're speaking out, when we're talking to friends, what you say matters. It doesn't matter how big an audience you have because it's the faith that you pour into it that God looks at. Not, oh, how many people did they get a hold of? No, it's did they believe me. And when his remnant has cried before him, saying to him over and over, your promises are true and we believe you, he will not deny us. He will not deny us. Lex, come on up. You know, there's a principle that some people live by that is called condemnation before investigation. And sometimes when you hear things about what God said or what God's doing or this is what he, he's released, you really have to be a Berean and go with an open mind and heart to the Lord and to the scriptures to find out what he said. You know, part of what um, gives the, the gut force release of the words that Greg gave today uh, with such confidence as to what the Lord has said, and not just him, is because he knows what the Lord has spoken. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is unifies his people by speaking to each of us. So sometimes the resistance in what the Lord is saying that's coming out of another human being is just because we don't want to believe what another human being says. So go to the Lord and find out what he's saying. And then when you stand upon that, you'll, you'll be able to have that same kind of confidence. Um, it's really, really important to, to know what the Lord is saying in these times because otherwise you will be just like James 1 talks about, driven back and forth. Because you, you are, you're not faithful to the Lord, thus blocking his voice. And now, when his voice is blocked, the demon voices don't stop. They're just keeping on going. And so you get tossed around to and from. And, of course, Scripture says, how can you expect to receive anything from the Lord when you are um, cheating, if you will, on the Lord? That's why he called Israel an adulterous generation. Because they weren't the grumblings and their lack of faith caused them to be blocked And I just think it's so important when it comes to this radical place of faith and choice that we're in. Lord gives us everybody a choice. Just like Joshua said. I love that last passage that he read. When Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose today who you'll be in agreement with. But then he said, he didn't just say, you know, believe me. The Lord released the word that was read clearly that he said, you know, this book of the law, my word, don't let it depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you know what it says. And then you can stand firm on what what is being spoken. 
And so the Hall of Faith always just is something that I love so much. And, um, of course, uh, the story of Moses is in there and all the greats. But one of the things that I find is that it becomes such a rare thing that you find any modern-day people, and there are some, of course, but that you find modern-day people that would be able to be entered into the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11 because there is, there is such a, a lack of this radical jump-off-the-cliff faith. And I know many here have said it, and um, I know I have said it as well, and, and my heart's desire is that when I stand before the Lord, I want to have erred on the side of believing Him. Because if that is my heart's desire, I trust that he is faithful. He's faithful to keep me from following the voices. I don't want to be, you know, do you know you can actually pray and ask God to help you to not be deceived? You know, when people come so hard against a word, well, who told you that? You just, you're saying crazy stuff. That's conspiracy theory. Okay, go before the Lord and ask him to speak to you. Ask him to settle these things in your heart and then believe him. And there's no example in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11 where they didn't have to believe God for what sounded crazy in their day. Whether it be Abraham and Sarah, Moses, Joseph, I mean, on and on. They had to believe him for something that seemed impossible, seemed absurd, and Certainly, the purpose for it was lost on them, I'm sure, except for their faith and knowing that they heard God's voice. And so before we pray, um, the only thing I just wanted to say that just stood out to me so strongly was one of the first verses that he read in Exodus 14:13. And I love when his response to those first grumblings about the, the fact that the Egyptians were pursuing them, he immediately told them, he prophesied, And said, don't fear, stand still and watch. These people pursuing you, you're never going to see again. And I love that reaction because you can imagine that he would have just, if there's a large crowd coming against his leadership, that he would have just said, Lord, can we just do something here to show these people that you're God? But I can imagine that the Lord said, no, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You're going to step in faith and tell them they will be fine because I am God. And he's asking people to do that. To speak before he shows us something. To just believe him enough to say, you're going to be fine. Have you ever comforted somebody like that? And said, God's got you. He has got this. You will be fine. Everything he said is true. We sing about that. But it's so important. That is what strengthens our faith. And faith cannot exist in a past tense. It can't exist with like some observance of what already happened. They were rejoicing when they crossed the Red Sea. Their problem wasn't thanking God for the miracles they saw and experienced. Their problem was believing it before it happened. Because they didn't actually trust God for, for the fact that he was their source. They loved the provision, and they were grateful. I'm sure they would have worshipped anyone that gave them what God gave them. And that's why the point was, do you believe me before it happens? So right now, we have an opportunity to believe him for many things. To believe him for heaven before we get there. To believe him for this nation. To believe him for the freedom that he has promised us. And then begin to speak and step in that faith. And so... What, a, what a, uh, an important, important message. I really encourage you to listen to this again, share it with others. 
Um, it, it, it's, faith, matters of faith are always controversial because they are at war with the human reality. And when people, walk, when people don't walk by faith and walk only by sight, then it's really offensive to begin to suggest things that they're not seeing in this realm. And so it, it can be abrasive. And, and truth and the way that Jesus talked, you know, he was always talking crazy kingdom talk. That's why he was so offensive to everybody in his ministry. And they just, they just thought he was nuts and absurd. But those that had eyes to see and ears to hear were drawn to him because he had life. He had the words of life. And so that is what God wants from us right now. That is what he rewards. He is a rewarder of those who believe and diligently seek him. And so let's pray. Thank you, God, so much, Father, for this great word today from, from just this story of the children of Israel leaving slavery. Oh, God, it is, Lord, you, you told us in the New Testament that these things are written for our example, for our learning. So thank you, God. Thank you for what you teach us in your word that isn't just a, a history book lesson with some, some principles that can be gleaned, but we can actually uh, apply it in a, in a very tangible, real way. God, you, you're breathing on it even now. You're releasing, Holy Spirit, an actual um, seed that will produce something brand new, an, an entire harvest of, of change and fruit and abundance when we, when we take this in the, the, to the soil of our hearts. So, God, I thank you for that. Thank you, God, for how exciting these stories are and how many um, opportunities we get to see your nature and your character and who you are. But, God, I pray this morning. I pray that for each one listening to this message, and I pray for each one in the bride, each one in the remnant, and then widely in the bride, God, that their eyes would be opened, that they would surrender to their humanity, to the, to the self-preservation, to the, to the desire to have to tangibly grasp something, and that they would just believe you with a, with a faith abandon, with the substance, as Greg alluded to, said in Hebrews 11.1, 1, that, that are things hoped for, and that the very evidence by faith are the things not seen. That is the confidence that we can have in you. Oh, God, I just pray that for each believer this morning. God, that we would be believing believers and not ticket holders that deny the power thereof, yet gaining great knowledge. God, wake us up. Wake us up fully. And I know that's the desire of your heart with this discipline. Judgment is, is a hard pill to swallow. Whatever way that you, you can help us to receive it, God, this, this discipline. You love those that you discipline. You want us to be disciplined back into this beautiful place where you get to be our God. Just like with our children, we want to discipline them to be, to be sound and, and moral and strong of character and walking uprightly. And so, God, this discipline that is coming to the house of the, God, of the Lord first is because you love us. And because you don't want us tossed around because of our, the lust of our flesh, the pride of our life, the self-sufficiency, the independence from you, God. You want the dependency because that's how you designed it. So, God, I pray the wake up of your people today. Do great and mighty things, Lord, among us. And you are. You are the way maker as we sung about earlier. God, you are almighty God. 
And you will bring breakthrough, God, as we just step in that radical faith. God, I just pray that so earnestly this morning. And I just declare that you are God and that I believe you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I think I'm going to give one.